Shalom, and welcome to Via Hafta Yisrael, a Hebrew phrase which means you shall love Israel. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as our teacher, Dr. Baruch, shares his expository teaching from the Bible. Dr. Baruch is the senior lecturer at the Zera Avraham Institute based in Israel. Although all courses are taught in Hebrew at the Institute, Dr. Baruch is pleased to share this weekly address in English. To find out more about our work in Israel, please visit us on the web at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson. We know that the concept of salvation is of the utmost importance, but we need to make sure that we understand this word salvation in the proper way. Now, normally when we think of salvation, we think about sins being forgiven through the all-sufficient work of Messiah on that tree in order that we will have an eternal relationship with God and the privilege through His faithfulness and through the grace that He supplies and through our faith in order that we should enter into the kingdom and be with Him forever and ever. Now that's normally how we think of salvation, but we need to realize something. In the scripture, that word salvation can have several different applications. For example, the word salvation can mean simply deliverance. Sometimes deliverance over a physical enemy. For example, a war takes place and one is saved. That nation defeats the enemy. They have been delivered or they have been saved. So it's a physical salvation. Likewise, we see that same word referring to being restored in a variety of meanings and applications. Also, it can have a physical and solely physical application. It can also mean to be healed physically from a disease or spiritually, for example, from demonic possession. So salvation in the Bible has a very broad definition, many different applications. Now I say this because when we look at where we left off last week, and I would invite you to take out your Bible and look with me to the book of Matthew and chapter 24. We concluded with verse 13, and there it says, the one who endures or perseveres until the end, and that's a very important concept, the end, this one will be saved. In this context, it is not speaking about our perseverance, our endurance being the cause for salvation in the sense, the forgiveness of sins and the right by the grace of God through the sufficiency of the cross to enter into the kingdom of God. When Messiah says in verse 13 in this all-important chapter, chapter 24 of Matthew, when he says, the one who perseveres or the one who endures until the end, this one will be saved, he means salvation in a very colloquial sense. This word salvation simply can mean victory. And what he's telling us here is this. Not that our salvation, our forgiveness of sins, our relationship with God, 
that privilege to enter into the kingdom of God is dependent upon our perseverance, our endurance. If that was the case, then our salvation would be based upon ourselves, on our work, on our performance, and that would be heresy. We know that scripture says that one is justified not by works, lest anyone should boast. But our justification, being right with God, experiencing that forgiveness of sin, is a gift from God through grace that we receive by faith. So here he's simply saying he's announcing for the purpose of encouraging those who are alive. These disciples, meaning you and me perhaps, our children, the next generation, whenever this time should come, that we should realize that perseverance and endurance is warranted. We should be individuals that strive to constantly and continuously demonstrate our faith, even in the midst of what will prove to be a very, very difficult time of persecution, of hatred, of opposition because of our faith, because of that name, Yeshua, Jesus, Jesus, whatever language you speak. That name is hated, and those who submit to him will be hated. But here's what he's saying. It's a message of encouragement. The one who endures and arrives at the end, realize with that end comes victory, comes a salvation experience, a kingdom experience, meaning this. When that end that he's referring to arrives, we will know in the fullest sense, deliverance, victory, and we will be with him in his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. Now, let's move on to the next verse because we find both in verse 13 and also in verse 14, this is the third time that that specific word, the end, appears. Now, remember, going back to verse 3 of this chapter, the disciples came to him when he was sitting on the Mount of Olives and says, what is the sign of the end of the age? Now, that was a different word, derived from the same root, but an entirely different construction. But three additional times we see him speaking about the end, and here he's speaking solely to disciples. And he wants us to know about a specific end. And I've already said, what he's speaking about is the end of the church age. And when does the church age come to an end? Very simply, with the rapture. What, what Paul calls in, in Titus chapter 2 and verse 13, the blessed hope. Literally, our blessed hope. Why? Our only for believers. Blessed because it is an outcome of God's work. It is what he does, and it's a completion of what? He's already started. And hope because it's rooted in the promises of Scripture. Biblical hope is always rooted in the Word of God, what God has specifically promised us in the text, in the Bible. So our blessed hope 
is when believers, all believers, are going to be transformed. We are going to receive a new body, a kingdom body, one that is perfectly designed for kingdom life, eternal life. And also we know that in this, this new state of being, we will be perfect. We will not have the capacity to sin, praise God. We will carry out faithfully his will. And there's nothing better than being obedient to our God. Now, we know something else. That is going to happen at the end of the church age. We know that, that Messiah is going to descend. There will be that, that archangel Michael. He is going to blow the trumpet of God, that shofar, which speaks about God's provision. And it says, the dead, and it's only referring to their bodies. See, when a believer dies today, their body decays in the ground, wherever they should be, makes no difference. Their body decomposes, but their soul, the very essence of that person, having been redeemed by the blood of Messiah, that soul in an instant, to be absent from this body, the scripture says, means to be at home with Messiah, to be in the presence of the living God. But at that time, those believers who have died previously, doesn't matter when, what age, what means, what happened to their bodies, makes no difference. If they were a believer, they're in heaven with Messiah, in heaven with the living God. But at the time of the rapture, there is going to be a change of those ashes, those dust, whatever is there. They're going to receive a new body, and in the air, Messiah is going to return. We are going to be caught up, very important term. It is that word, arpazo. We are going to be caught up together with him in the air to meet him in the air, and then we're going to be taken to heaven for a period of time. Those who are still alive, who haven't experienced physical death, their bodies, they're still in their bodies, but their bodies are going to be transformed, changed, the scripture says, in a twinkling of an eye. Their body is going to be transformed into, as I said, a kingdom body. And they as well, with those who have died, the remnants of their body is going to be changed us, we're all of our bodies going to be changed, and together we're all, all believers, will meet him in the air, and we will be taken to heaven before when? Here's the key. Let me give you a scripture. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 9. Very important that you see that scripture. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 9. What does it say there? A wonderful promise from God. Paul is speaking and he says, you have not been appointed for wrath. A believer in the gospel message never, ever, ever, did you hear that? Never, ever, ever will experience the wrath of God. What have we been appointed to for? The scripture says in that same verse, we have not been appointed for wrath, but appointed to obtain salvation and here salvation he's already talking to believers 
Having been saved, it's that same use of the term salvation for victory, for a total deliverance, for a fulfillment of the promises of God to take hold of that. You see, salvation can be used for the means of salvation, that payment. What Messiah did when he died upon that, that cross. He was working, doing the work of salvation. But there's also the implications, the outcome of that work. And that's what Messiah is speaking about in verse 13 when it says, if you persevere, endure to the end, you will be saved, meaning you will experience this victory, this kingdom. If you don't persevere, well, maybe you die, as it says. Many are going to be hated, delivered over, and put to death. They won't persevere until the end. They don't lose their salvation. It's not about that. They simply won't be there alive when that end comes. But they'll take part in it through the rapture. So God is faithful. There is victory coming for every believer. And we know when that is. Now let's move to the next verse, verse 14. Verse 14 speaks again, as I said, about the end. I want to read this very carefully. Verse 14, it says, And this gospel of the kingdom. Now, I like that term, the gospel of the kingdom. We need to see that gospel, that good news about redemption has kingdom implications. And that's why I speak so much about the kingdom. You cannot understand the gospel if you're not emphasizing a kingdom reality, a kingdom promise from God. So notice what he says here. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world for a testimony to all the nations. Now, has that happened in the fullness yet? It has not. This is not something that we can attribute to 70 AD. This is something that's going to be done at the end of the church age. Why do I know this? Whole verse. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world for a witness, a testimony. And that implies an invitation to all the nations. That's how broad God's love is for all the nations. And then he says, after this proclamation, notice what it says, and then the end will come. Again, what end are we speaking about? The end of the church age. And what will be the event that brings about this end? It is the rapture. So here we know a promise. He's encouraging us the gospel of the kingdom has to be preached as a testimony throughout all the world to all the nations. Then it says, the end will come. Now move on to our last verse, and that is verse 15. Verse 15 is a highly significant a highly informative verse because it speaks about an event that we need to understand, 
We need to know when it's going to happen, what exactly is it, and what are the implications from it. Now, here again, when we look at Matthew 24, let's review and get a right picture for how this, this chapter is unfolding. Messiah, in verse 1, he departs from the temple. Verse 2, the disciples, they come to him and speak about the buildings upon the temple mount. And he responds and says, every building up there, every stone, in fact, there won't be one left that is not cast down to the ground. Was he right? Yes, he was. When was he right? 40 years later. In 70 AD, with the destruction by the Romans under the leadership of Titus, when they destroyed the temple, the city of Jerusalem, and the, the Jewish people went into exile. But then in verse 3, there's a change. He leaves Jerusalem, coming forth from the temple, and he goes to that significant place, the Mount of Olives. And there, in verse 3, the disciples come and they have those three questions. What is the sign of the end of the age? When will these things be? Secondly, they also say, what is the sign of your coming? So when will these things be? What is the sign of your coming? And what is the sign of the end of the age? They ask those questions, and now he's responding. And we need to see that in verses 3 to 15, he's speaking to disciples, and here's the key, about disciples. Did you hear that? In verses 3, they ask that question. Following verse 3, we see that he speaks to answer these questions, speaking to the disciples also about disciples. What disciples? What that generation, that last generation, those that will comprise and be present at the end of the church age, what they are going to experience. These wars, rumors of wars, ethnic groups rising up against ethnic groups, kingdom against kingdom, famines, earthquakes, pestilence in the plural, all these things taking place to get, give great instability in this world. It says, then they will persecute believers. They will deliver you over. You will be hated by all nations because of the name Yeshua. And not only will they persecute, but he says, they will also deliver you over for death. But he says, the end is not yet. The one who perseveres, this one will, will behold the victory that's coming at the end. Remember, the end, the end, the end. He says it three times. And the end he's speaking about is the rapture. After revealing the time of the end, prior to the gospel of the nation must be proclaimed to all the world for a witness to all the nations. Then the end will come. And now he gives us a very important verse. Look at verse 15. Now, let me just simply say, in the next verse, verse 16, he's no longer speaking about disciples. The emphasis are those in Judea. 
the Jewish people in the land of Israel. But in verse 15, notice what he says. Let's read it together. Therefore, whenever you shall see, and notice that there's a change in words. Now, you may not notice that in your translation, but originally, this language, there's a change in the Greek text. Earlier on, when he says to watch out or beware, pay attention, take heed, however your Bible translates it, it's the word blepete. What is that? You look for something. You be watching. But here, there's a different word. It is the word idete. What is that? This is a word for looking. It's that same uh, uh, verb in the sense of action, but it's a different word of vocabulary. And it means to look, but with great perception. It just isn't a word saying watch out, but be looking with discernment. Be looking for something specifically. And that's why he speaks in this verse, because he's speaking about something very specific. What is that? Verse 15. Therefore, whenever you shall see, this means perceive, to see with understanding, to see understanding the relevance of something. He says, therefore, whenever you should see the abomination of desolation. Now, I would write that down. The abomination of desolation. Do you know what it is? And, and let me simply say, it is so important. Messiah is teaching. He's teaching believers, disciples, about the end. We need to put an emphasis on that. That needs to be something very, very important to us. So we should know what the abomination of desolation is. Now, it's mentioned five times in the scripture. What are those five times? Well, the first one is in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. There he's speaking about Daniel's 70th week, those final seven years, which begins with the temple functioning in Jerusalem. This temple's not going to be pleasing to God. It's going to be for the purpose and the objective of the Antichrist. So there's going to be a temple there that functions and this begins the final seven years. But he says in the middle of those seven years, those seven years are called a prophetic week. So in the middle of that week, something's going to happen. Daniel says in Daniel 9.27, there is going to be this event, the abomination of desolation. The problem is in that verse, Daniel does not tell us what the abomination of desolation is. We can glean that it's something not good by the terminology, an abomination that brings about desolation. It ain't good, but what is it? Well, when we move into chapter 11, specifically chapter 11 and verse 36, it speaks about a king. What king? The ruler of this empire. We're speaking about the Antichrist. And it tells us that this king is going to exalt himself. He is going to magnify himself above all God, everything that's of godliness, of holiness, anything that is worship. And he's going to commit a sacrilege in that place. What place? Well, we can move on to Daniel chapter 
12. And we see there in Daniel chapter 12, towards the end of, of the text, of uh, the chapter, and I'm speaking about Daniel chapter 12 and verse 11, it says, from the time that the daily sacrifice is removed, is stopped. What stops it? Very simply, what stops it is this act of the Antichrist going into, and Paul is very specific, because we see it spoken of three times in the book of Daniel, once right now in Matthew 24, verse 15, and the, and the fifth time, and the last time is by the Apostle Paul. And he speaks of it in regard to the rapture. We see he uses the term specifically, some Bibles err when they say the day of the Lord. It's the day of Messiah. See, the Thessalonians, they were concerned. They were concerned, these Thessalonians, that they missed out on this blessed hope because they were being persecuted. So they thought that they missed out, that they were left behind. And Paul reassures them. They have great concern. He says, don't be troubled because this day won't happen until first there's a falling away, a moving away from the truth of God. He calls it an apostasy standing aside, moving away from that which is good. We talked about that word in a previous study. So there's going to be an apostasy, and that apostasy is going to create the environment for the man of sin, the man of lawlessness, to be revealed. Who is that? The Antichrist. And how does he reveal himself? Well, Paul tells us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And Paul is quoting What's mentioned in Daniel chapter 11 and verse 36, where it says that this king who does what he pleases, he is going to stop everything happening in the temple. He is going to outlaw all types of worship except the worship of himself. And he's going to go into the sanctuary. Now, if your Bible says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, that this is going to take place in the temple, it's not specific enough. It is not the general word for temple, heron, but it's the, the more specific word, neos, in this form, neon, which is speaking about the sanctuary. It's a reference to the Holy of Holies. So the Antichrist, here's the abomination. What is it? He is going to exalt himself, magnify himself, Paul says, above all that is worshiped above God himself, proclaiming that he is God, and he's going to go into the Holy of Holies, where the presence of God dwelt upon that mercy seat, on the Ark of the Covenant between the cherubim. He's going to go there, taking his seat, and he's going to proclaim that he is God. And he's going to demand that all people worship him. And therefore, he says here, let's read the whole verse, Therefore, whenever you see the abomination of desolation, that which was spoken by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, he says, then the one who reads, and it means the one who's studying, let him know. Let him understand, and that's what we want to be. People with a godly understanding, people who know the truth, who study to show ourselves approved. Well, we'll continue with the same theme next week when we press on in Matthew chapter 24.
Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org. Again, to find out more about us, please visit our website, loveisrael.org. There you will find articles and numerous other lectures by Baruch. These teachings are in video form. You may download them or watch them in streaming video. Until next week, may the Lord bless you in our Messiah Yeshua, that is, Jesus, as you walk with Him. Shalom from Israel. <laughs>